Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. We've been in Exodus, the book of Exodus, for a long, long time. It's uh, 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 September 2018 is when we officially started uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus. And here we are at its closing. You know, and it's so weird just to consider that what the difference to, you know, uh, well, not to, but, you know, along this amount of time. You know, who would have thought that we'd be dealing with a, a plague in the United States? You know, it's such a trip. You know, it just blows me away how the world can change on a dime. You know, something I have to say, too, you know, I send uh, periodic uh, periodic uh, notices just about uh, kind of a little prognosticating on my part. And it's not meant to instill fear or, you know, any type of, you know, to, to, to freak you out or anything like that. And if, if you want me to stop, I'll stop. You know, just send me a text and just say, hey, cut it out. But, you know, it's just I like to uh, uh, think of it in terms of, you know, if you guys are driving on the 5 North, is to say, hey, there's a boulder in, you know, uh, Ridgefield. There's a boulder on the freeway. So you could either slow down, you know, get in another lane. You know, and then, you know, once that's clear, it's to say, hey, there's a boulder in Woodland. There's a boulder in, you know, a big, huge boulder on the freeway in in uh, Kelso, you know, in Centralia. You know, as you make your way up, as you kind of uh, progress on the highway of life, so to speak. You know, it's very painful because what I don't want to do is interfere. I don't want to interfere in, you know, your lives or anything like that, but just to provide guidance and help. And my, I don't want to sound cold in saying it like that, um, but it, because you you have your personal walks with the Lord individually and corporately as a family unit, you know you have your walks with the Lord, and these are things that I don't want to interfere with, but then at the same time to provide guidance, maybe chime in from time to time and say, hey, you know, like you know, a little prognosticating on my part, and so if uh, if you want me to cut it out, just send me a text, say, hey, cut it out. But, you know, it's very interesting days that we live in. Very, very interesting days to live in. Not time to uh, mess around with the Lord. Take advantage of His grace and play games with the Lord. You know, that's for all of us, myself included. Definitely not a time to play games with the Lord. Because we're living in very, very treacherous times. And the Bible teaches us that the heart of men will fail. Men's hearts will fail them. You know, you could be so hardcore and gung-ho today. But what's going to happen a week later? A year later, two years later, just look in your past. Who in your life was hardcore and gung-ho for the Lord? And then, you know, ask the question about them today. Are they still hardcore for the Lord? Or are they more hardcore for the Lord? Or have they denounced the Lord? Or are they still on milk? Or have they fallen for a lie and they're just, you know, they're living the, you know, seeker-friendly movement. They're going Hebrew Roots movement. Have they been deceived? You see, it's such a trip how the Bible teaches us, not only teaches us, but protects us for the events of the last days. I'm pretty firm in my stance on the last days. You know, I always know that the Lord could tarry. The Lord could say, well, you know, it's going to be another five years, another 10 years, another 20 years, another 100 years, another 1,000 years. That's, that's His call. But remember, He gives us signs in the Bibles. He gives us these little indicators to say, hey, you know, let your ears perk up when you hear these things. And let your eyes look up and know that redemption draws near. And things that are happening across the globe, 
the markets, financial markets, politics, geopolitics, geopolitically, uh, just all these events that are happening. Israel, Israel and her neighbors, Israel and the world. You know, and how Jerusalem is a cup of drunkenness. And all these nations that mess with her, you know, the Lord's going to mess with them. It's kind of like, these are little indicators that happen. And so always remember that it's very, very treacherous days as we enter in the, the events of the last days and see these things start to happen. The Bible teaches us and gives us great comfort because he says, know that redemption draws near. In verse four, or chapter 40, verse 1, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, you, you know, something you have to notice here are all the you shalls. Notice all the you shalls and commands of the Lord. Remember, Moses and the Lord were very close. Very, very close. The Lord says, you know, I speak to Moses as I do to a friend. And so here in verse 2 says, on the first day of the first month, let's pause here for a moment. The first month translates as the new moon in the Hebrew. The new moon. And you have to remember that the Hebrew calendar is lunar-based. It's a lunar-based calendar. And so, you know, you see like the, the, the full moon, and that's like kind of like the midpoint but then as the things start to rotate, it's to say, wait a second, the crescent's on this side, the crescent's on this side. You know, when it's on one side, it's to say, wow, this is like a, a new month. So everything is lunar-based. When you see the crescent, when the, when the moon is like a little sliver, you see, wow, that's like a new moon. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, a little refresher course. It says the lights in the firmament, firmament are for signs, for seasons, for days and years. They're like little markers to say look this is a day you know the one you know the 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 night comes and then the night passes it's morning and then boom one day then you know the morning comes you're on the second day and then you see the moon you see the sliver in the moon okay this is a a new month and then it becomes full 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 and it dims and becomes another sliver say okay this is the end of the month then you don't see a moon at all it's like you know everything's like kind of resetting a new month and the Bible says these are for seasons, for days and years and for seasons because there are certain events like the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Weeks, all these things. And then at the same time, they're also for signs, these lights in the firmament, the sun, the moon, you might, it's, it's daytime, you see the light in the firmament, what is it? The sun, sunlight. And at nighttime, what is it? Moonlight and stars. You say, what do you mean the stars are? Like light. Well, you see the black sky. You see the little, you know, blotches of pinpricks of white. What is that? The stars. And so turn with me really quick. I don't want to get off topic too much, but turn with me really quick to Mark 13. Mark 13. In Mark 13, verse 24, the words of our Lord, red letters in my Bible says, but in those days... After that tribulation, now another little side note, you know, after that tribulation, the Bible says in verse 19 here in in Mark 13, that for in those days there will be tribulation, tribulation. And then at the same time, if you look at verse 14, it says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, you remember this is in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, that final seven years, right in the middle is the abomination of desolation. And then once that happens, 
in verse 19 says there will be tribulation. And then look at verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, so we're already we're already in the seven years. We're already past the, third, the, 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 the three and a half years. We're already past the midpoint, which is the abomination of desolation. Now look at verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Remember Genesis 1.14, how the lights in the firmament are for signs. Signs. I mean, you see these things start to happen. You correlate it with, you know, Mystery Babylon in Revelation. And how the angel of the Lord is saying, come out of her, my people. That's like the very last altar call. The very last altar call. The final altar call to say, hey, repent. Believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord. That's the like, that's it. And so look what he says here. Verse 25, the stars of heaven will fall. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then... They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then, verse 27, he will send his angels and gather together his elect. This is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. People say, no, 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 the rapture happens before all these things. Before the, 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 the peace treaty starts. Before the abomination of desolation. Okay, so does that mean there are two raptures? They'll say no. The Bible doesn't support two raptures. The Bible only supports one rapture. And here, verse 24 says, after that tribulation. Verse 27 says, he will send his, he will, he will send his angels and gather together his elect. That's why there's this new doctrine of imminency. New doctrine of imminency. Say, how is it new? Well, late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, you start to see this, you know, uh, John Henry. All these things start to take place. It's like, wait a second, what, are they, what is this pre-tribulation type of doctrine? You don't see it in the church fathers. None of the church fathers wrote about this. And I don't mean church fathers like uh, St. Augustine. I don't consider him a church father at all. Maybe if I was a Catholic, I would. If I was a Calvinist, I would. But I reject him as a church father. I'm speaking about Irenaeus, Clement. You know, these are people who were uh, disciples of uh, John, you know, kind of like uh, John the Apostle. Kind of twice removed. Once you get into thrice removed, I kind of, I like to go to the source. I like as close as possible to the source. These are, these are people who were fighters against Gnosticism. And you won't see the anything pre-tribulation accordance in accordance with the church fathers. And it blows me away so much. That's why this doctrine of imminency. Well, in First Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church, they were they they adhered to a doctrine of imminency. You know, oh, Jesus Christ could come anytime. And so they head for the hills and they were waiting for the Lord. And in Second Thessalonians, Paul had to write them again. And in chapter two, he says, You know what, you guys? Concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering together with Him. He says, do not be deceived. Let not yourselves be deceived. You know why? And he starts to explain. These things will not happen until, and then boom, a great falling away. The Son of Man is revealed. The Son of Perdition is revealed. 
And all that happens at the abomination of desolation. And then precursor to that, what happens? A great falling away. We're already seeing a great falling away. And it blows me away so much because the Bible is explicitly clear. And so going back to verse 26, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the far, farthest part of heaven. You see? The gathering of the saints. The collection of the saints. The rapture of the church. And keep in mind, the stars and heaven will fall and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 24, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Always remember that. Because the Bible teaches in Genesis 1, like from the very beginning, the lights in the firmament for days, for seasons, for years, and then also for signs, for signs. Don't forget that. So let's go back here to chapter 40 in Exodus. In Exodus 40, verse 2, on the first day of the first month, you shall, remember, notice all these you shalls. You have to take notice of all these you shalls. You shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You know why it trips me out so much as, you know, I have such a hardcore stance against the Hebrew Roots Movement. Hardcore stance against the Hebrew, Hebrew Roots Movement. You know why? Because it kind of puts a hand up in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, in John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word for dwelt in John 1, it's to tabernacle. That's why you hear me say a lot that the tabernacle in the Old Testament is a noun. And in the New Testament, it's a verb. It's a verb. Because he likes to travel with us. He likes to travel with you personally. He's portable. Just as this tabernacle in the wilderness was portable, so too the tabernacle, he's portable. He wants to be with you. He wants to sup with you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants your heart pressed against his and his heart pressed against yours. That's called abiding in Christ and I in you. Those are his words. And don't forget that as new covenant believers, that Jesus Christ is both the sacrifice and the high priest. He's both. That's why it blows me away. These people that return to the law. It's not to say, hey, shame on you people who return to the law. I guess in a sense it can be. But then, you know, it's how Satan, he takes advantage of our piety unto the Lord. Our devotion unto the Lord. Say you're a hardcore Christian. And I hope that's the case. You're a hardcore Christian. You're so madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're reading the Bible. And then, you know, you get to Leviticus. You get to Deuteronomy. And you know what Satan does? He says, oh, you see what the Lord likes? So therefore, you do these things in your life. You implement these things in the law in your life. That is why we have a steady diet of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The new interpreting the old, the old interpreting the new. It's a protective mechanism. Surrounded by the Holy Word of God, old and new. You might have wondered in our earlier chapters in the book of Exodus, 
Why are we going to Ephesians? Why are we going to Galatians? Why are we going to uh, um, Hebrews? Why are we going to these books when we're supposed to be on a Wednesday here in Exodus? And I was pretty hardcore about certain subject matter. And the reason why is to say, hey, look, all these things are going to be implemented in the law. But the fulfillment of the law is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the high priest, is the sacrifice. It's not to say, you know, so, you know, when you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, wow, this was such a devout guy. I want to be like that. I want to do like this too. You know, this was such a devout, you know, what was what's so awesome here in the holy word of God. And then Satan will whisper in your ear. You see, why don't you do this? Why don't you stop eating shellfish? Why don't you stop eating, you know, uh, uh, bacon? Why don't you stop eating pork chops? Because the law says, don't eat those things. And somebody in their piety, they love the Lord. They say, you know what? I'm going to stop eating pork chops. And then all of a sudden, it's like a stepping stone. It's like step one into the law. And I'm not trying to come down heavily on those that, you know, refrain from eating certain things in the law. In one sense, I have a, a, a little adoration for them because it's kind of, it, it's innocent. It's kind of like, wow, they want to honor the Lord. But innocent in terms of, hey, you know, like a baby. It's to say, okay, I understand your position, but let's, let's move on to deeper things. Let's leave the elementary things and move on to perfection. And that was our study in Acts 10. When Peter, he was in a trance, he was in ecstasy, and the Lord gave him a vision. And he saw these things, and he was like, no, Lord, I'm not doing that. And the Lord told him, hey, Peter, what, I'm, what I've cleaned, don't call unclean. Don't you ever call unclean what I'm cleaning, what I've cleansed. It's to say, hey, the things of the Old Testament are old. The old passed over to something new, which is the new covenant in the Lord's blood. That was the upper room when the Lord Jesus Christ was explaining that this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he says. Very important. And that's why I have such a huge issue with the Hebrew Roots Movement. You know, not to mention, you know, what it opens up to. Because, I mean, if you want to be on, that's why you see in the Hebrew Roots Movement, you see a lot of multiple wives. You know, the people that adhere to these things, if they're... Pew Christians, so to speak, or pew people. I can't, I can't call them Christians. But if they're pew people, you know, it's like, I get it. But if they're the pulpit people, I take major issue with these people. I want to take them and say, hey, repent. And then I want to look at the people and say, hey, you guys need to repent. This isn't pleasing before the Lord. But then I'll turn around and say something different to the pastor. How dare you? How dare you mislead God's people? Because that's what going back to the law does. And you see how Satan can twist. He'll take your desire to honor the Lord and glorify the Lord and he'll twist it. That's how he works. He was a lie. He's the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. And so look what happens here. In verse um, uh, 2, he says, you shall. Remember, notice, take notice of all these you shalls. 
You shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. So here, the veil, the Lord gave uh, 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 Moses the vision. He gave him the uh, blueprints in, in uh, chapter 25 through 31. Chapter 32, Moses comes down the mountain with Joshua and he sees the golden calf. And they have to do, they do some hardcore dealing with Israel. That's when the Lord is like, you know what? I'm going to start fresh with you, Moses. I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to start fresh. That's not, not the first time he says it to Moses. We're going to see it in future chapters. He says it again, like, okay, set these people over there, and I'm going to wipe them out. And in some cases, he does wipe out people. And I don't mean to gloss over the fact that he wipes people out. But remember, these things are written for our admonition, our warning. That's what Paul says. They're written for our warning, for us to gain the fear of the Lord. I mean, there's times when I read the Old Testament, and it's like, man, this freaks me out. Praise be unto the Lord. I pray it does the same for you too, because it's a healthy thing, the fear of the Lord. And so now you see in chapter 35 through 39, you see the actual construction of these things, like the making of the elements, the making of the, you know, the, all, all the different things for tabernacle worship. And in verse 40, the Lord is saying, hey, put up the veil. Put up the veil. As new covenant believers, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And the veil is torn. 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. The veil was torn and is torn. The old covenant is officially over. It's over. You have to understand that the law brings death. The law brings death. Now, back then, there was still life in the law. Because the the new covenant is hasn't been in existence yet. It's a future thing. But there was life in the law. But then at the same time, there was always a means by which atonement would happen. Is to say, you know, you could sacrifice it, you know, sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. You know? What happens in like in Hebrews six? The writer of Hebrews 6 says, you know what? You cannot re-crucify Jesus Christ. It's not to say, Paul says it in, and I think Paul wrote, I can make it almost like a, I don't even want to say a compelling argument that Paul wrote Hebrews, a slam dunk argument that Paul wrote Hebrews. I won't do it right now. But um, in... Um, Hebrews chapter 6, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes to the church, he says, don't take advantage of God's grace. Does that, you know, does that mean that we should sin so that grace can abound? He says, no way, don't do that, exclamation point, by no, you know, absolutely not, exclamation point. But then he expounds on it in Hebrews 6, he calls it the re-crucification of Jesus Christ. You know, when we play games with Jesus Christ, it's to say, Okay, yeah, I can do whatever, and I'll just repent and re-crucify Jesus Christ. And when you read Hebrews 6, it says, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that. And I don't want to scare you by saying it like that. But read Hebrews 6, and I'll let the Bible, I'll let the Holy Spirit freak you out. Because it's a scary chapter about moving on to perfection, about maturing in Christ. And then at the same time, about the re-crucification of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. 
impossible. And the Bible even teaches in that chapter that it's impossible to restore such a man that does that. That's very dangerous grounds to be in to play games with the Lord. And I don't want to freak anybody out. But the nature of our Lord, there's some freaky aspects to Him. And I don't say that with disrespect to Him. I say this with honor and adoration to Him. But it blows me away so much because, you know, you see in verse 3 that the veil is erected. It's like it's set up. But don't forget that being under the new covenant, the veil is torn. Which means what? Which means that we have access to the high priest in order in the order of Melchizedek. And at the same time, it's where we have oneness with the Father. It's through His Son. The sacrifice, the high priest, the sacrifice, and also the gate, the door. Remember, He says, I am the door. I am the gate. It's, it's just... The carnal mind can't receive these things. The carnal mind cannot comprehend these things. But I don't speak to carnal people. If I do, it's to awaken them. I speak to Christians. These are things that are extrapolated from the law, which points to Jesus Christ. It's not to say, hey, let's go back and perform the doings of the law. All you have to do is read Galatians, the book of Galatians. Paul says the law brings death. He says, do I now have to, you know, like, uh, what, did I labor for you in vain? Remember, the law brings death. And I, you hear me give the example all the time. You know, if you know, I'm abiding in Christ, I'm under grace. And then all of a sudden, if I start to beat on my wife, cheat on my wife, do all these crazy things, stick the needles in my arm, do all these crazy things, and then all of a sudden, I'm not under grace anymore. I'm under the law. I'm under the law. And then at that point, it's the law that hopefully will bring me back to Jesus Christ. You know, I'll feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully I'll return to Jesus Christ. He'll break me. He'll bring me to a point where I return to Jesus Christ. And then I'm under grace again. But if I reject that conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm under the law. And I'm at the point where I might be under God's wrath. Under God's wrath. Not the wrath that is like, you know, going to come across the globe. The wrath that comes on individuals. All you have to do is read Romans 1. And the Lord will explain to you the wrath on individuals. That's the danger of returning to the law. Which don't ever do. And so look what happens here in verse 4. You shall, remember, notice all the you shalls. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are, uh, that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and, and, and light its lamps. So he's setting things up. Remember the blueprints were given to him in, in chapter 25 through 31. And then uh, uh, in chapter 35 through 39, the actual construction is happening. And then, well, actually in through 38, 39, it's kind of like a little inspection. And then here in chapter 40, it's like preparation to actually erect these things. And it's so cool. The blueprints have to match. Everything has to match. Verse 5, you shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall 
set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. So all these blueprints, remember, like the Lord gave him the vision, the, the blueprints of what to do, how to construct it. But now, since it's, you know, like actual, he can actually touch it now. He's saying, put water in it now. In verse 8, you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the gate, at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. The anointing. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. We live in a culture today where we've lost the concept of holiness. It's kind of the lifelong battle of a Christian because we're at war with the flesh, at war with the carnal nature. All these stimuli of the world that can awaken carnal impulses you know, sometimes it's anger for me. I have to be very careful with anger. I think I said this already, but like, you know, a couple of days ago, like last week, like we were in the kitchen or I was on the couch watching TV and Liz was in the kitchen. And she hears a noise outside. She said, did you hear that? I hit mute on the button. And, uh, and you know, she's, you know, did you hear that? I hit mute on the TV and I heard it and I go outside to check things out. You know, unbeknownst to my wife, my mind, like in a flash, it just instantly changed. It's like kill mode. You know, like somebody's out there, they're dead. Oh, I ask, you know, like, who are you? What are you doing? And if they want to come bring harm to me, they're dead. You know, and it, it, it just happens like it, 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 it's like instant. I hate that. It's like there's certain things for me personally in my life that are like I have to be very, very, very careful with. You know, it, it's an easy, easy switch to turn. You know, it's like a little... A feather can flick it, you know, on. And I hate that about my flesh. But then at the same time, I love it about my flesh. Because I hate it so much. It's like, wow, Lord, I need you. It's like a thorn in my side. And there are certain things in your life that are like a thorn in your side. What are those things? You know, this is the, the battle that we have. It's kind of interesting because, you know, that same night, you know, I come back in the house. You know, and I say, yeah, it's nothing, baby, you know. And she's like, she wants to have return to the conversation. And like. Unbeknownst to her, like my mindset was like set on like, you know, extreme violence. So it's like, you know, I need to chill out for a little bit, you know, I need to just take some time and just chill. So it's such a trip, you know, these are certain things of the carnal nature where it's like, you know, we have to be very sensitive. You know, I might have to walk on eggshells in certain areas and you might have to walk on eggshells in certain areas. It's the body of Christ. I can help you. You can help me. That's the body of Christ. One body, many parts working together for the glory of our Lord. But we've lost this concept of holiness. Holiness, holy unto the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you have this outburst of rage. And it's like, man, you know, I blew it. That's not holy. How can that be holy? This outburst of rage, you know, an old lady cuts you off and you want to just like, you know, throw her off a bridge. You know, that's not holy. And it's like, man, you know, and you come to your knees and you say, Lord, forgive me. There's that, that mindset isn't right before the Lord. We always think about the sin that's committed. You know, oh, this person committed a sin. He needs to repent. She needs to repent. And yeah, repentance needs to happen. But what about the mind? What's happening in the mind? You know, the act is one thing. 
But precursor to that, you know, when somebody has a needle in their arm, you know, three days earlier, you know, the urge might be, you know, they might be getting a whisper in, in their ear from Satan. Maybe a week earlier, a year earlier, the whispers might be starting. And that's why it's so cool to have a clear mind before the Lord and to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's an act of obedience to bring every thought, every thought that comes in your mind, give it to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, is this right? Sometimes they'll say, no. Sometimes they'll say, you know what? That is right. Remember the human experience, there's emotions in the human experience. You know, it's to say, yeah, it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. That's why it's like, okay, I'm angry. So I'm just going to chill out. I'm just going to sit down. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. (laughs) And that's how it's so cool because my wife understands that. And she's like, okay, you know, let's chill out. Let's chill out. You know, let's, let's go take a walk. You know, and she's right there. And I love that so much. Because it's like, you know, as much as it's like she has my heart in her hands. You know, and she wants to help me. It's so cool. And she helps me. And it's kind of convicting too. Because it's like, you know, you pray to the Lord and the Bible teaches that for husbands specifically, you come to the Lord and if you deal treacherously with your wife, the Lord says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Read Malachi. That's a pretty hardcore message to husbands. You want to be a jerk to your wife? Okay, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. That's, you know, that's okay. I won't be a jerk to her, you know. Sometimes, you know, I I get convicted when I read my Bible. It's like, man, I open up my Bible. And before I open, it's like I open it and I'm ready to read. It's like the very first, not even the very first word, not even the very first letter. It's like the first word, like the ink hit the paper. Like if it was, if there was a pen, it was like right when the pen hits the paper. It's like, boom, conviction. How can I, how can I dare start to read if I've, you know, dealt treacherously, treacherously with my wife? I go to my wife, hey, baby, you know, I'm sorry, you know. So it's okay, it's okay. And then I go to pray and I get convicted. Like, wow, you know, I have to be like that, you know. I have to be like that, you know. How can I How can I expect my wife to submit to me when I'm not submitting to Jesus Christ? You see how he works? It's so cool, This how he teaches us these things. It's one of the greatest lessons I've learned in marriage is how selfish I am. It keeps my heart soft before the Lord. And he teaches us these things. We've lost this concept of holiness. You know, it's like, what is holiness? You talk to your neighbor. Can you tell me what holiness is? They, they won't be able to tell you. You find it in the Word of God. That's where you find holiness. The Lord teaches you what holiness is. In verse 10, you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and its all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You know, what's very interesting about this, it's like, whoa, you know, because it's like, you know, remember that, you know, what's most holy here is how it's, it's God's desire to have intimacy with his people. Intimacy with his people. How does that happen? Through Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son. As new covenant believers. Remember, these things are a shadow of the things to come. 
a shadow of Jesus Christ, the high priest, the high priest and the priests and the elders and the scribes, the Pharisees, they should have been keen to these. They should have been keen, but the danger with them is they were following the two things, actually several things. The letter of the law is what they were following, not the spirit of the law, the letter of the law. And then they had the pride, they had their arrogance, and they liked the accolades of men. They liked the appreciation of men. They liked the applause of men. And it's to say, whoa, that's not good before the Lord. And when Jesus Christ came, they wanted to kill him. They didn't fall to their knees and say, wow, this is the Messiah. The Messiah is here. They said, no, let's kill this guy. And so look what happens here in verse 11. And you shall anoint the labor and its base and consecrate it. Notice all these you shalls. In verse 12, then you shall bring Aaron and his sons. This is uh, 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 the, the, the priesthood of the Levites. You know, it's, it's being put into motion here. I, I get, feel kind of weird in saying it that way because we know, remember in our study in Hebrews, how in the loins of Abraham was the Levitical priesthood? So it's like, you know, the, the, the beginnings were like much earlier in straight up Genesis type stuff, you know. But here it says, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. I think me personally, if I was giving a message to a bunch of pastors, I would hone in hardcore on verse 12 to wash them with water. Every single pastor, every single teacher of the Bible should get very, very comfortable with the idea of bathing God's people, bathing God's flock. Now, if you get little weird imagery in your mind, hit the pause button and repent, okay? Because I'm not speaking carnally. I'm speaking highly, highly spiritual. Because look what happens on a Wednesday, on a Wednesday night. You know, people come into church and look what happens on a Sunday morning. People come into church. Who knows what kind of filth they've been involved with? Who knows what kind of mess they've been involved with? But you take the holy word of God, the water of the word of God and say, hey, let me bathe you. Let me take my sponge here. Let me bathe you. Go through, the, you know, like a little, like a little lamb or like a little sheep. Let me clean you up. I think every pastor... Every teacher of the Bible needs to get used to this idea. You know, the golden calf that Aaron was involved with, it's now history. It's now history. And now it's to fulfill what the Lord said to Moses when he gave him the blueprints. He takes Aaron. Then you shall, in verse 12, bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You see how beautiful this is? Can you imagine if, if Moses came down from the mountain the first time in chapter 32 and then just started washing them right there? No, the, the order. There was no repentance. The golden calf was there. No repentance. It would have been good. Aaron's heart wasn't right before the Lord. Aaron's heart wasn't right. Is There's a certain order. That's the beauty of brokenness before the Lord. Imagine what Aaron must have felt in his heart. Oh man, I blew it. I blew it. And that's the beauty of repentance. 
you know what? I've blown it too. I've blown it too. It's to be a new creation in Christ. It's history. You know, past this prologue. It's just the beginning. That's what's so awesome about repentance. Coming to Jesus Christ and it's like, well, Lord, thank you, Lord. And for a pastor to take a holy sponge and dip that holy sponge in holy water, speaking metaphysically now, you know, the people come in, God's people, God's flock, and take that sponge and clean all the filth, clean all the yuck, clean all the nastiness. That's what happens in the Word of God. That's what happens with going through the Word of God, studying the Word of God. And so look what happens here <clears throat> in verse 13. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Notice, minister to me, capital M. Minister to me. Ministry. Any type of ministry. Always, 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 always is unto the Lord. Always. It's never unto people. Never unto people. It's always unto the Lord. People are benefactors. People are the receiving end of grace and mercy and love. They still, they still get the blessings. They still get the, uh, the rewards of a ministry. But the ministry is unto the Lord. The people are merely the benefactors. Never, ever, ever forget that. Because you know what's so popular today? Where ministry is unto people. And the danger behind that model is people can become God. People, lowercase g. People can become the idol. Because if a ministry is unto people, you're going to get tired. You're going to become carnal. Because, you know, people are fickle. There's the fickle aspect of people. Where it's like they start to murmur and complain. And it's like, okay, I'm going to appease this person now. Yeah, this person complains all the time. So I'm going to appease him or her. And then all of a sudden your focus is going to get more carnal. More geared towards the carnal. Because you're filling bellies rather than filling hearts and filling minds. You're filling bellies. Remember John chapter 6. Never ever forget John 6 because the multitudes, thousands, 5,000 plus people were fed. And praise be unto the Lord. He fed the people. But then you keep reading through one chapter. And you start to see, you know, they're walking. Jesus Christ turns around and he says, you know what? You guys aren't following me because you want truth. You don't want the truth. He says, you want the goodies. You like your bellies to be full. That's why you're following me. And you know, this snowflake concept isn't anything new. They were snowflakes back then. And they said, oh, I'm so offended. And so they walked away. They said, yeah, I got my, I got a full belly, but you know what? I'm walking away. He's hurting my feelings. And then Jesus Christ, he starts to walk even further. And the disciples were perplexed. There were hundreds. The disciples were like, what, what, what what's going on here? And then he stops again and he speaks to the disciples and he tells them even more. And then he turns to them and he says, does this offend you too? Are you offended also? And then what happens? They left. 
They never, they stopped walking with him. It says explicitly clear, they stopped, they not, they never walk with him again. They stopped walking with him. And then he turns to 12 more. And he says to the 12, do you want to leave also? And they say, no, we're here with you. So 5,000 plus become hundreds. And then hundreds become 12. And then the 12 become 11. And I'm speaking of Judas. And the 11 become zero because Jesus Christ is all by himself. All by himself. And then you get to the book of Acts. And what do you see? The zero becomes, you know, 11. The 11 become 12. The 12 become thousands. The thousands become multitudes. And then, boom, it's just been blown up since. And then here in the last days, you're going to see the great falling away. And then the multitudes become even less, but still a multitude. Because there's a great falling away. Like a little heartbeat of the Lord. A little heartbeat. But ministry always has to be unto the Lord. Because, you know, again, you'll see Satan. He'll twist people. He'll say, okay, you know, you got to take care of these people. You know, take care of their whatever, their addictions. Take care of, address their problems. Address this. And because they're people, they're like, you know, they're like, they're going to pull you away. They're going to pull you away in appeasement to them. You know, you want to be their friend. You want to make inroads, all these things. It's uh, salesman tactics, you know. But the word of God is not a sales pitch. Grace, salvation is not a sales pitch. It's the power of God into salvation. And so Satan will twist your, you know, just like he does with the piety under the law. He'll do the same thing with piety unto works. And twist it and say, okay, I'm going to make you fall now. That's what he does. That's how he works. All throughout the ages, he's been doing it. But then what happens when you, you're mature? You have strong legs. Strong arms, a strong back. You put on the helmet. You put on the breastplate. You pick up the shield. You pick up the sword. And your ministry is unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Satan will come whispering in your ears. Mm-mm, get the hands behind me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You see, you learn how to fight. Somebody comes to you as a drug addict and doing all these things. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. It's like in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And these demons leave. And people are freed. Oh, but that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that dispensation, how the Holy Spirit works. You won't see an expiration date in the Holy Bible. You won't see that. That's why you see a lot of people who are overcome by certain things. Overcome by uh, demonic influence. Because there's no power. No power. And you see this? It's so beautiful. It says, you know, it says uh, here in verse 13, You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. But then at the same time, verse 14, You shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. I love this so much about Aaron and his kids. It's like they're no longer naked. No longer naked. And I don't, you know, if you're thinking carnally, Hit the pause button and repent. You know, just say, Lord, forgive me that my mind went places it shouldn't go. And then when you're done doing that, hit play. 
But it's so beautiful here because when sin is exposed, you know, you see nakedness. There's no covering. Nakedness. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus Christ is to say, hey, here, put this on. Wear this. It's a holy garment. The Lord is making you new. The Lord is transforming you into new creation. You see? Remember Noah's sons? You know, it was the, 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 uh, uh, the one son, you know, he was the son of disobedience. He wanted to look on his father's nakedness. But then the other two sons, they held a sheet. They walked backwards. You know, it's like there's nakedness all around us, you know. And if your mind is getting carnal, pause it and repent. And then hit play when you're done repenting. And I'm not speaking carnally. But you see nakedness all over. It doesn't mean that you have to partake in these things. But just, you know, with a brother or sister, grab a sheet and walk backwards. You don't have to see these things. And then cover the sin. Cover the nakedness. Clothe a person with Jesus Christ. Not being a partaker like the son of disobedience. But being transformed by renewing of your minds being set apart and consecrated. And so here in verse 14 says, bring in your sons, you shall bring in bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. And so in verse 14, you shall, not all these you shalls, verse all is from verse 2. You shall, you shall, you shall all over the place. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me. Again, ministry is unto the Lord as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Throughout their generations. The Levitical priesthood. Now, I have to say something about this Levitical priesthood. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews 7, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood. Remember, I'm not advocating the law. And what's going to happen? I'm going to make mention of this when we're in our Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Even all throughout the Old Testament. Because you might have in your mind, you might say, oh, okay, I'm going to start to do these things. And I say, no way, exclamation point, don't do that. In verse 11, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further near need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Question mark. Question mark. That's a hardcore question. It would have been sufficient. It would have been, the Levitical priesthood would have been sufficient if perfection were, were through the Levitical priesthood. But no, let's read on. Verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So you see, when I said the law is over, it is over. The veil was torn. I, I, the law is over to those who abide in Christ. You know, the people who leave grace, they're now under the law. And they're under the tutor, the schoolmaster. Hopefully, they might be under wrath, which is not good. 
That's Romans 1 type stuff. That's not good at all. And so we see here in um, 13, verse 13, For he, capital H, of whom these things are spoken, belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Do you see? Fleshly commandment. The law is carnal. The spirit is non-carnal. Never ever forget that. The law is carnal. The spirit is non-carnal. I'll give you an example of what that means. Say you're in sin. And you read the Bible and it's like, Remember, there's, there's death in the law. There, there's the conviction of sin. But then say you're a born-again believer. You're a blood-bought person. You've fallen deeply, deeply, deeply in love with the Lord. Well, that same sin that used to be a problem isn't a problem anymore. Why? Because you're married to Jesus Christ. He is your husband. And if you're a male... I'm speaking as a member of the Bride of Christ. He is your husband. You've fallen deeply, deeply, and profoundly in love with Him. So that issue, that sin, it's no longer an issue. Because you're different. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You say, oh, no, I'm too macho. Yeah, I'm too macho. I, I can't accept that. Well, get used to that idea. Because every Christian is part of the Bride of Christ. And if you want to be macho, you know, I can tell you some macho things. Macho is pride and selfishness and arrogance. That's what macho is. And verse 17 says this, For he testifies you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former. These are big, big, huge words. An annulment of the former. What does that mean? The law is done in Christ. Annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Never forget these words because when we're getting, we're going to get into Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you know what? It's going to be like, wow, you know, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is pleasing to the Lord. Yes, it was pleasing to the Lord for the people under the law. But remember, in accordance with the spirit of the law, it points to Jesus Christ. In verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. That's why the Hebrew Roots Movement, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And people fall for it hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because in verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. Satan wants God's people to be under the law. He doesn't want God. He doesn't want people under grace. He'll try as hard as he can to bring people under the law so that they can have, you know, the, the pay the price under the law. 
He knows exactly where he's going. He just wants to take you with him. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God, and that's Jesus Christ. Remember, to tell us die, it is finished. The veil was torn from top to bottom. Very important to remember these things. So let's go back to Exodus. About this Levitical priesthood. It's beautiful what's happening here in Exodus 40. But I have to emphasize what's happening in Exodus 40. <laughs> okay, so verse 16. So all the you shalls, you shalls, you shalls all over the place. Now you see the obedience of Moses. You see the obedience. Thus Moses did. According to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And so here it says in verse 17, And it came to pass, and it came to pass that in the first month of the second year, first month of the second year, it's a trip. Because look what happens. You know, like, what, what a difference a year makes. What a difference a year makes. Because in, Acts, or in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, that's kind of when the clock started. The clock started. In, in Exodus 12, verse 2, that's where the Lord says, you know what? You're going to start everything brand new again. Brand new. The clock is going to start all over again. And they had their, their, uh, their, uh, their, they were in bondage in Egypt. And what's happening here in, in chapter 12 is the bondage is over. But before the exodus before leaving Egypt and before partaking of the Passover where the Lord says consume a male lamb without blemish and then that's when the clock starts that's when the clock starts what a difference a year makes because now the tabernacle is being erected you see how beautiful this is in context of what it means to us as new covenant believers and life in Christ the people were in bondage before in Egypt, and now they're they they've been they've, the Exodus happened. They've left Egypt, and they they have the tabernacle now, and now what's going to happen is the teaching of spiritual bondage officially begins, and the Exodus from this spiritual bondage, it happens in Jesus Christ. That's why Moses is a type of Christ. It happens in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual exodus. Even, you know, both Jew and Gentile. Talk, I mean, you talk to a crackhead, you know, you say, you know, you talk to a crackhead, you know, and then maybe they're in detox and they're going through their pains, you know, they're in de they go to jail. And sometimes jail is detox for these people. They get out of jail, you talk to them, and it's like they've come to a point of humility. Hopefully, Lord willing, a point of humility to where they're receptive to hear the things of the Word of God and to hear deep spiritual things. And so all of a sudden, they're at this point of humility where they can receive Jesus Christ. And they, they receive Jesus Christ, but then there's an exodus that has to happen. It's a spiritual exodus. It's to say, wow, you know what? I'm, I, I don't have to go back to the crack pipe anymore. I don't have to go back to the crack. Because of my exodus in Christ Jesus. 
He freed me the same way Moses freed Israel. Jesus Christ freed me. And he tabernacles with you. He tabernacles with me. You see how this you see how beautiful the book of Exodus is in teaching us these things? A deeper meaning behind new covenant teachings. We haven't even picked this is just straight from the Bible. We haven't gone to any type of study references. This is just straight up Bible. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. And you know who was once a crackhead is now a brother or sister in Christ. You can put down your crack. You can put down your drugs, your alcohol, your sex, your whatever, your pride, your anger, your rage. Put it down. Put that down. Here, let me give you a new robe. It's Jesus Christ. Let me take my holy sponge, dip it in my holy water. You know, it's a new creation. You see, all these things that we glean from, why would anybody go back to the law? So look what happens here. Still in verse 17, on the, the uh, uh, first of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Tabernacle was raised up. So, you know, chapter 39, it was like, you know, he uh, passed inspection. You know, everything, the, the blueprints matched, and then now all of a sudden it's like, wow, everything's erected now. Now look at verse 18. It's kind of like the Acts. Like all the, all the you shalls, that we, you know, we, I made specific mention of these you shalls in the previous verses. They're, they're spoken already. The you shalls are done. They're, they've been spoken. Now it's time for the acts. Does that sound familiar at all? What about for you and me when we're in the word of God and we hear all these you shalls? Hey, you shall put down the crack pipe. Hey, you shall put down the pornography. Hey, you shall stop being, you know, carnal. Hey, you shall stop being this. Hey, you shall do this. You shall do this. You shall not do. All these things that we glean from the Holy Word of God, and then we put the Bible down, we pray, and we go out in the world. What happens? Where are the acts? You don't even have to go out in the world. Where are the acts when you're at home by yourself? Speaks of integrity before the Lord. At home, by yourself. Movies, TV, radio, songs, all these things, all these stimulus. Is to say, well, where are the acts? And that's just for self. But what about when your hands and feet become vessels of the Lord? That's when ministry happens. Ministry not to self, but unto others. The acts Verse 18, so Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering on the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Remember, you shalls are done. Those are the previous verses. There's going to be more, but for you know all intents and purposes, it's in chapter 40, they're done. And verse 19 says, as the Lord had commanded Moses. What about as the Lord had commanded, you know, and fill in the blank. Put your name there. When you read the Bible, 
How does the Holy Spirit convict you? How does the Holy Spirit urge you? Are you still on milk? Or are you eating pork chops? Spiritual pork chops? You see? What about as the Lord? Is it, you know, working as unto the Lord? You go to work. Is it as unto the Lord? Or is it as unto and then put your name there? If it's the latter, you know, I say, hey, you got some work to do. You say, what do you mean you got some work to do? Well, the work is to fall to your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. As I did. I'm not saying these things as, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to. These are things that I apply in my life. Have applied and still apply. And praise be unto the Lord because he teaches us these things. I'm not saying these things as a hypocrite. And if I were to say these things as a hypocrite, then it's like, whoa, woe is me. But you see, there's power behind these things. To be able to tell you these things from experience that I've tasted of the world and all it has to offer. And the Lord says, hey, you know what? Go back to Egypt. Say, aye, aye, sir. Give him a salute. Aye, aye, sir. As the Lord had commanded. And you know, thus you can do as well. As the Lord commands. You know, the Lord says, you shall, you shall. You shan't, you shan't. All throughout the Bible. And then you go out in the world. And then you do. Now be a hearer of the word only, as Brother James writes to us. But to be a doer. In verse 20, he took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. I have to emphasize again, the veil is torn. From top to bottom, the veil is torn. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, you might be wondering, man, we're just flying through these verses. Yes, we're flying through these verses. But don't forget, we studied these in depth during the blueprint phase. We studied these in previous weeks, you know, just in, in the construction phase. In the putting together phase. Now we're in the actual erecting phase. And it's like, you know, rejoice in these things. Because it's like, wow, you know, the, the Lord gave Moses the blueprints. And now look, it's like, it's here. What about the promises that God gives you? The promises that God gives you in His Word. In your prayer life. You're on your knees before the Lord. What are those promises that the Lord gives to you? And you open up your eyes, which is kind of a bummer in itself. You open up your eyes and you're like, man, I'm still in this world. You open up your eyes, you say, amen. And it's like, wow, I can't. Lord, you know, your word promises this. And Lord, you gave me so much comfort in this, whatever it was. Okay, Lord, I don't know. I don't know when. I don't know how. But Lord, 
you know, grow my faith in it, expand my faith in it, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden it starts to happen. And it's like, wow, you can rejoice even more. Let it be a lesson for the next promise. And then your faith can grow and grow and grow and grow. Remember, a measure of faith is given to every man, to every woman, young and old. And the Bible never says that faith can't grow because faith can grow. People who are strong in faith. People who are strong in faith have often had their prayers answered in ways that will blow you away. It'll blow your mind. You say like, wow, how come the Lord doesn't answer my prayers like that? You go to the third world and you see such a faithful people. They don't have the fancy phones. They don't have the fancy cars. They don't have the fancy houses. They don't have fancy anything. A lot of times they don't smell too great. You smell their B.O. Because they don't have like running water. So they can only shower like once every three or four days. And it's a quick, it's just like a quick wipe down. And a lot of times you can smell it. They have a body odor. And then the third world. No TV, no cable. You know, no fancy phones. If they have a phone, it'll be a flip phone. And they got an old beat up car. If they even have a car, but they got to walk places. But you see their faith is like, whoa. It is like through the roof. You know why? They don't have all these distractions. They don't have all these distractions in life. They wake up when the rooster crows. They go to sleep when the sun goes down. They start to wind down. Maybe they're up for a little bit. You know, if they have power in their home, you know, they can they can only, you know, have it on for a little while because it's too expensive. Or maybe they have to go to sleep because it's they don't have the money to pay for electricity or they have to buy their oil so they don't have the money to have a flame a lit flame so the sun goes down and so do they the rooster crows the sun comes up and so do they and they work by the sweat of their brow and they have such strong faith strong strong faith and it's so beautiful how the Lord works and so look what happens here in verse uh 22, he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the north side of the tabernacle, and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded commanded Moses. He set the labor. He set the labor between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. You see? To be clean before the Lord. Be clean before the Lord. This is a hardcore message for pastors. I, I guess in a sense, I could say pastors and elders. But 
with specificity, I want to say pastors. I want to say Bible teachers. To have clean hands and clean feet. It's not to say, hey, you know, on a, you know, go do your crack, go do your pornography, go do your violence, and then, you know, teach the Bible the next day. No way. No way. No, 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 no. Woe is you if that's the case. Woe is me if that's the case. But to have clean hands, clean feet. It's so beautiful, these passages. I love it so much. A hardcore message for pastors, Bible teachers. Have clean hands, clean feet. That's where the power is. You know, there's power in the Holy Spirit. But when you have clean hands, clean feet, it's pleasing unto the Lord. Remember the Holy Spirit bypassed Simon, what we studied in Acts. He skipped over Simon because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. Even though he wanted the power. He said, Peter, let me buy this. How much? And Peter says, no. Repent from this, your wickedness. Your heart is not right before the Lord. For I see that you are blinded by bitterness. Peter was the one who told him that. You see, Peter didn't have dirty hands. He didn't have dirty feet. And look how the Lord is using him. Philip didn't have dirty hands and dirty feet. And look how the Lord is using him. Look at all the people whose God becomes people. And then all of a sudden they have dirty hands, dirty feet, and they get corrupted deeper and deeper. They get pulled by the enemy. You see how this works? Look at all these things that we glean from, from these New, Test New Old Testament teachings as New Covenant believers. Not going back to the law, but to say, look what the law is showing us in Christ and so look what happens here. They washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. In verse 33. <clears throat> verse 33. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Finished the work. You see what's so cool here? Look what happens in verse 34. You see all these, the direction that the Lord has given Moses, the blueprints that the Lord has given Moses, more direction, you know, and then the construction. And then, you know, it's like, well, like all these things that are happening. And then like the repeat of those things, direction, you know, blueprints, more direction and construction. Now we see the purpose. The purpose. It's kind of like what we were talking about on Sunday. How there's clarity of direction. Clarity of blueprints. Clarity of construction even. But then now here the Lord. You know we see the purpose in, in Acts 10. But here in the Old Testament we see the purpose. All this direction that the Lord has been giving Moses. And now we see the purpose in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is what is referred to as the Shekinah glory. Now the word Shekinah, you're not going to find it in the Bible. It's like the word Trinity. You're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, but yet we have Elohim, the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
You see the working of God the Father, you see the working of God the Son, and you definitely see the working of God the Holy Spirit. In Holy Scripture, and not just that, in your lives, personally, where He's a personal Jesus to you. But the definition of Shekinah, it literally translates as the, the, the settling, the dwelling, and the filling of the divine presence of God Almighty. It is His glory. The Shekinah glory. Through all these passages, you see the obedience of Moses. The direction that he was given. The blueprints that he was given. More direction that he was given. The construction that he was given. And even after construction was done by, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the godly sons. All the, the construct, and then all of a sudden he gave, he did the inspection, make sure everything was, you know, up to par. He was able to do, he was qualified to do the inspecting, the inspection. And now you see the purpose the cloud covering the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is a hardcore message for pastors, I mean, for everybody. To those who have ears, and if you don't have ears, pray. You know, you don't have wisdom, you don't have understanding, you read through the Proverbs, get wisdom, get understanding. How do I do that? Fall to your knees. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Repent before the Lord. Get rid of the carnal self. Take off the carnal man. Take off the carnal woman and put on Christ Jesus. And let the glory of the Lord fill your tabernacle, fill your body. For your heart, for your mind. Through the obedience of Moses, look what happens. To the people. The tabernacle that is right there in their midst. The glory of the Lord is in their presence. The presence of the Lord right there with them. And Moses, in verse 35, was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see how beautiful this is? Wow, God's presence. That's why when I say it's a hardcore message for pastors, because what a lot of pastors want to do and endeavor to do is they want to be a motivational speaker. They want to be a motivational speaker to motivate you into this dumb world. Oh, what's that? You know, this person left you. Oh, it's okay. You know, they do their little rock star voice. Oh, what's this? You know, you have your, your you got the crack, you know, you have the needles in your arm. You're cooking spoons. You're doing your sexual stuff. Oh, it's okay. You'll make it through the next day. You'll make it through the next week. It's okay. But tithe, be sure to tithe. Stupid. What if they, they themselves have dirty hands and dirty feet? They themselves are disobedient unto the Lord. I don't want to suggest any kind of heresy. I don't, in no way, shape, or form do I want to introduce heretical concepts. But what if Moses was disobedient to the instruction given to the Lord? If Moses was disobedient in any of these blueprints, if Moses was disobedient in the inspection phase, if Moses was disobedient in the correction phase, when Moses had to correct Aaron, when Moses had to correct the people, when Moses had to destroy the golden calf and make the people drink of its bitterness, 
What if Moses was disobedient in any of those aspects? Where would the glory of the Lord be? Not with the people. That's why I say this is a hardcore message for pastors. Because pastors do their filth. Pastors do their drugs, their sex, their alcohol. You know, and then they do their whatever. You know, they do their yoga. They do their, you know, stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden they start to teach. They start to preach on a Sunday morning. Where's the Shekinah glory among the people? When the pastor themselves have dirty hands and dirty feet. Disobedience. It's a hardcore message for pastors. If there are any pastors who are listening to these words and you yourself have dirty hands and dirty feet, this is what I say. Repent. Fall to your knees. Prostrate before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Repent. It might be that you might need to take a break from pastoral leadership. If you're an elder, It might be that you need to take a break from your eldership. It might be that you have to step down completely and say, Hey, I can't fulfill, I can't fill this role. And what do you do then? You take a godly man and you say, Hey, I want you to teach. It's called biblical replacement. That's real. That's biblical replacement theology. (laughs) That's what you do. Denial of self and place the headship back where it needs to be on Jesus Christ. It's pleasing unto Him. And then, you know what happens when you have this godly pastor in? The Shekinah glory can bless God's people. That's what happens. That's how the Lord works. Old Testament and New Testament alike. So look what happens here in verse 36. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. So the Lord was directing their steps. The Lord is directing them. You know, he's saying, okay, it's time to go onward. Okay, it's time to stop. And we're going to stay here. We're going to camp out here. The Lord is with them and the Lord is directing their path. The same is exact. It's the same today. Same today. The Shekinah glory of the Lord. The Shekinah glory of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Many, many people think they have it. They say, oh yeah, the glory of the Lord, the Lord is, you know, thus saith the Lord, the Lord is directing me to do this, 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 this. All you got to do is look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Many people think they have it, but they don't. It can't be bought, as we see with Simon in the book of Acts. It can't be bought. You can't fake it. You can fake it with man. You can't fake it with God. Many people think they have the glory of the Lord. But a lot of people don't. And of the ones that do, some of them are going to run out. All you got to do is read Matthew 25 about the 10 virgins. Some are going to run out of oil. But the wise, they're building up oil 
They're building up reserves and they're like ready. It's like, man, you know, they have like a big old vat of oil that they're tugging along with them. You know why? Because they've been prepared. They're being ready. That's the church in the last days. The last days church. Make sure you have plenty of oil. Plenty of oil. And be selfish with the oil. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. Personally. It's for you. That's what's going to get you through the last days. The oil. The power of the Holy Spirit. And many people... Many people don't even have oil. They think they do, but they don't. Of the ones that do, it's a 50% ratio. 50-50. Five stupid, five wise. The stupid ones run out of oil. The five wise ones have plenty of oil. And I pray every 100% of our church fellowship has is the five wise in that 50%, the good 50%. You know, myself included. You see what's so cool? And then the Lord is with the people. The Lord is with us today. Guiding. You know, he says, okay, pause. And then he says, okay, go. This is where you're going to go. Turn left, turn right. This is what you're going to do. That's the beauty of obedience. It's not to be a robot and be like, okay, the Bible says this, therefore I will do this. The Bible says this, therefore I will do that. You know, it's not to be a robot. It's to understand that the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah of the glory of the Lord, it, it funnels down. The same applies for families too, husbands. You know, I'm speaking about a church role, the, the pastoral role unto the body, unto the flock. But what about a husband? You know, it flows from the husband to the wife to the kids. And the husband wants to, you know, be dorky. Okay. And the wife wants to be dorky too and submit to her husband. That's not submitting to the Lord. Don't do that. The husband wants to do that. That's fine. Let him do his thing. Pray for him. But then all of a sudden now the Shekinah glory flows to the wife, to the kids. In submission to Jesus Christ. And this doctrine that is very popular in the neo-Calvinist neo movement. It's a hardcore submission to husbands. And you look at the wives and what are they? Slaves in their own home. Robots in their own home. And all I got to say to those husbands is husbands... When does Jesus Christ ever make you a slave? When does Jesus Christ ever make you a robot? The answer is never. Since that's the case, do you think you're going to get away with it? Do you really think you're going to get away with it? When the Lord says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. See how crazy the Word of God is? In a good way. I don't mean crazy and disrespectfully to the Lord. I mean, crazy like how he confronts the carnal nature. The carnal man, the carnal woman. The Holy Spirit confronts us. And then we have a choice to make. Lord, am I going to yield to you or am I not? That's the fork in the road for the Christian. Yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or yielding to self. It's a choice. Look at verse 38. For the, cloud of the tab for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You see, 
this beautiful, holy union, it's 100% impossible with religion. 100% impossible with false doctrine or wrong doctrine. 100%. It's, it comes from sound doctrine. So that, like that funnel I told you about, you know, the word became flesh. It's sound doctrine. And the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, you see like the stars aligning. That's what it is. It's an alignment of holy things. You know, God's word, you know, from God the Father to God the Son. And the word became flesh from God the Son to creation. Where is the obedient in that line, in that lineage? And pastors, and Jesus Christ is the head pastor. You know, when it comes from Jesus Christ, you know, in obedience, the pastor is being obedient to Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, the Shekinah glory is blessing the people. You see how he works? And it's so cool how he works. It's a, it's, when I say it can't be, it's, it's impossible with religion. It's a 100% deep personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. And to say that doesn't even do it justice. It's a deep and profound love with Jesus Christ. Oneness with Him. Union with Him. Intimacy with Him. It's for every believer to have. It's for all of creation to have. But where are the fishermen? Where are the fishermen? And someone's caught up in their sin... Where is the fisherman to cast their line and say, hey, take a bite of this. They take a bite and you start reeling them in. Not reeling them in to say like, oh, look how awesome I am. To reel them in and say, hey, look, stand on this foundation with me. It's Jesus Christ. Let me clean you up. You see? So we're officially ending the book of Exodus. What a beautiful book it is. And there's more to come, more of the law. And when we study Leviticus, it's going to be like, you know, the law in light of who we are as New Covenant believers. So we're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.